Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Ever hit your head and wonder if it's going to become a concussion? Get a headache afterwards and not know if it's something serious or not? Well, Dr. Ben Chun, sports medicine expert, and Dr. Monique Kaniko, neurologist from Kaiser Permanente, are in the studio. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes. 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, it's that time of year again. The TCOYD, or Taking Control of Your Diabetes Conference, is here on Oahu, Saturday, April 27th at the Hawaii Convention Center, Sunday, April 28th at the Kauai Beach Resort in Lahue. In just one day, you can learn what might take a lifetime, along with hundreds of other people just like you who have had diabetes and want to know more about how to best control their sugars and take charge of their health. You can register at tcoid.org. You can call 1-800-998-2693. There is a small charge, but financial aid is available if you need it. Among some of the many excellent speakers, both local experts, endocrinologists, and more, the former Surgeon General of the United States, Kenneth Moritzugu, will be there discussing mastering diabetes as a doctor and as a patient at both events. Again, that's going to be this coming Saturday, April 27th, Hawaii Convention Center, Sunday, April 28th at the Kauai Beach Resort. And this is one of those events that if you or someone you love have diabetes, it's a fantastic way to really learn about what you can do to help yourself, help your family, help your loved ones, and really figure out how you can truthfully take control of not just your diabetes, but of your health overall. Now let's talk about concussions. You've heard the terms mild. Maybe you know not to let someone fall into a deep sleep after a major head injury. And if you've ever wondered what it means to have one and what the long-term consequences are, our, ex- our experts, Dr. Ben Chun, sports medicine, and Dr. Monique Kaniko, neurologist from Kaiser Permanente, are in the studio, and we'd like to hear from you. If you've had a head injury or someone you love have had, has had a concussion, what were the symptoms that you picked up on, and what do you remember being told to do about it? You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Ben, Dr. Monique, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, lucky for us, the skull is fairly strong. It's a series of bones fused in the body, protects the really important brain inside, and usually is hard enough to take a few knocks now and then. But, you know, there's all different types of head trauma. Dr. Ben Chun, you just came back from a wonderful conference. What are some of the most common types of head trauma that lead to things like concussions? Generally, a concussion is sustained during a collision injury, whether colliding with another player in a team event or the person versus the ground or other surface. So like your head hits something. Your head or your body hits something. Or your body hits something. Oh, that's interesting. So you don't have to have a head injury. To have a concussion. You don't. Sometimes the forces can be uh, impulsive from the body to the head area and then therefore to the brain. So you almost fall down, you catch yourself, and then all of a sudden maybe your head jerks back a little bit. You don't hit anything. Yes. And that can still be an injury. Yes. You liken it to a yolk within an egg. And if you shake the egg, the yolk inside will bounce back and forth between the the walls of the eggshell. I'm thinking scrambled, but I don't want to think of that. Okay, so so that's kind of, so the yolk is sort of suspended, so your brain is suspended in fluid, 
and anything that can that can cause that yolk to move around quickly could lead to brain trauma. Yes. Now, when we use the word concussion specifically, what do we mean by that? A concussion is defined as a complex pathophysiologic process affecting the brain induced by biomechanical forces. And that's a com- Okay, so like in English? <laughs> that's a complex way of saying it's a disruption of the normal process of the brain. So it prevents the brain from doing its job normally. Because in- of some type of uh, trauma? Because of some type of injury. An injury. And what does it do that's not normal? When we say prevents the brain from doing something normally, what do we mean by that? Well, of course, the brain is responsible for a number of jobs, including... Keeping you awake. Keeping you awake. Thinking. Okay. uh, Working through problems. Your emotional well-being, uh, your sleep behavior, and also controlling your physical body. So disruption can happen in any of these domains or all of them at the same time. All right, Dr. Monique, concussion. So something happens to the brain. It's not functioning in a way that it used to. Are all concussions associated with loss of consciousness, or can you have a concussion and still be awake the entire time? Many concussions are not associated with any loss of consciousness, but the trauma still occurred, and the patient could still have symptoms. Therefore, really, any time an object hits the head or the head hits the object, the person should be evaluated, and then we determine from there, based on their symptoms, where they should go. So let's just say I'm walking outside, oops, I tripped, hit my head on the ground, and I don't necessarily lose consciousness, but I get up and I feel a little nauseous, feel a little weak, a little dizzy. Are those signs of concern? Yes, everything you've just said could be signs, but it also could just be from the injury. So the big question comes up, when do we really seek medical attention? The kid was on the field, there was an injury. Does everybody have to go to the emergency department? And the answer is no, but some major region, reasons that we look for to go to the emergency department is, is there a skull fracture? Was there a loss of consciousness? Extreme drowsiness that doesn't go away? The headache that gets worse and worse and worse? And even vomiting. So any of those signs, whether they be immediate or even up to a few hours later, get concerned. All right. We've got some callers. Boy, this is a, this is a hot topic. We've got some early callers. We have Van from Kailua. Van, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Hi. What can we do for you? Well, I was listening to the, uh, the conversation, and one thing that was mentioned was not uh, allowing someone to fall into a deep sleep after a possibility of a concussion and I guess, you know, our daughter fell maybe two months ago, hit her head really hard on the concrete, and uh, she did have a severe headache. She was in a lot of pain. She she did vomit. Uh, we felt like she definitely had symptoms of a concussion, but uh, we, we were kind of under the impression that uh, give her some pain medication and let her rest and she'd be okay, but is that uh, not a good choice? Well, it's a good question. Tell me, how old's your daughter? Uh, she was she's five. She just barely turned six uh, last week. <laughs> so about five, and about a couple. Uh, you said weeks ago. It was she, a couple of months. A couple ago. of months yeah. ago. So she fell down, and you were kind of concerned. What did you do about it? I'm curious. Well, at first we we weren't sure um, how hard she had hit her head. We we didn't see it. A friend of ours did, um, and she was obviously crying and, and in a lot of pain. We thought that was just from the you know the impact. 
Um, but then she was complaining about her head just being more sore, a headache, and then she actually um, vomited um, and was kind of semi-delirious, I guess. So did you call her doctor, take her to the hospital? What did you do at that time? No, we gave her some, some So that's when you gave her some Tylenol and said, okay. She, she stopped crying and she kind of calmed down a little bit, but uh, maybe about an hour later she was complaining a little bit more and we, we thought about calling her doctor or taking her in, but we we just weren't sure if, you know, if that would be... Sure, it's a really hard thing, absolutely. And now two months later, she's back to herself, running around, happy, no troubles? Well, she was she was actually fine the next day. Uh, at least it seemed like it. Okay. Um, but that was that was after, you know, an, an afternoon and evening of basically laying around and then a full night's sleep. So I wasn't sure that the comment about not, not recommending that someone with a major head, head injury fall into a deep sleep kind of kind of threw me off. Well, and it's a really good point. I mean, you know, long term, everything worked out fine. Your your daughter seems to be fine. And I think short term, you guys weren't really sure. And it's kind of hard to ask, you know, a five-year-old, how hard did you hit your head? They don't really have a good reference point. Um, right. But you did bring up a couple of good things, which is you assessed her, you checked to see if she had any discomfort. You know, clearly you didn't see any obvious signs of head trauma. And you said, okay, maybe there's these other factors going on. We will keep a close watch on her. And in the end, everything turned out to be okay. But I'm curious, you know, Dr. Ben, for example, is somebody who's young, you know, we're, we're below the age at which we can really describe exactly what happened. Given the scenario that Van's talking about, in his case, everything worked out great. With a child who presents with something like this and you're not quite sure how hard they've hit their head and they're, they're starting to feel like they have a headache, what, were, what would be some options for someone else out there? Well, Van brings up a couple of good points. One is that there isn't a specific symptom that's specific to concussions. So it's very hard for um, people watching or parents to assess whether or not this is something they need to pay attention to because it can be things that people complain about at any point, headaches, just feeling tired, not feeling themselves. So it's very difficult to know when is it is it more serious and when isn't it. Sure, and for a five-year-old, that makes and it even more difficult. It's Absolutely. even harder because it's harder to get a really clear answer as to what's going on. Um, generally, the advice we give is that if parents notice any significant change in the child's normal behavior, if they do have any vomiting, dizziness, or worsening of their symptoms, um, to, to contact their physician. Now, the, the nice thing is, or the lucky thing is, the majority of concussion cases get better on their own. It is defined as a self-limited condition. That means it gets better by itself in a reasonably short amount of time. So the majority do not go on to have significant complications. And in Van's case, Thankfully, everything, everything is fine, out and fine, that's sure. the typical situation. So parents really just need the reassurance that if they're paying attention and if anything seems amiss to them where they start feeling uncomfortable and they're not sure, it's okay to ask. That's why the physicians are there. That's why the ERs are there. You're never wrong for checking it out and making sure you're okay. So I, I tend to give the parents the, the typical advice we give, but also that if you don't feel comfortable ask. Go ahead and ask the question. And to his point on, is it okay to let someone fall into a deep sleep? That's kind of a holdover advice from from years past. Um, There's not really a a good strong recommendation that you have to do that. I think now the general advice is just let them sleep, but pay attention to them. 
So what you would normally do when you, you're watching your child who's had an injury, let's say they fell and scraped their knee, you're kind of checking in with them every once in a while, seeing how they're feeling. But it, it doesn't need to be woken up on the hour every hour. You don't need to do that. But parents need to do what makes them feel comfortable. If they so don't if feel they comfortable, feel comfortable it, I've got to wake up Johnny every hour in the then, hour, make sure that he is alert and arousable. Do it. I would say do it because I need it'll you make you feel better to feel better about this. Sure, absolutely. All right. Well, it sounds like definitely good advice. We have boy another caller. This is this going to be a uh, a fun show, you guys. We have Steve from Monkawau. Steve, welcome to the Body Show. All right, thank you. What can we do for you? Oh, I have a question about concussion and semi-concussion. I know when I was growing up, it, there was a thing they called semi-concussion. And, you know, a lot of times now, you know, we're wearing helmets that hit the ground, hit other helmets. You see the stars. You know, is that considered semi-concussion? And I was, like, told if you, you know, get knocked out, you black out, that's more of a concussion. Is that any of that, man? Well, it's an interesting, you know, we talked about some of the holdover things, semi-concussion, full concussion. Dr. Mooney, can you semi-concuss? Can you sort of have, is that what we would call a mild concussion now? Yes, exactly. So what he's describing would now be termed mild trauma or mild concussion, but but still a concussion. And I think the reason we call it that is because we really want people to recognize that even though it was mild and maybe the patient only saw stars for, you know, a brief interval, that it still is classified as a concussion and they should be removed from play and monitored. But if there's not a lot of long-term problems, a couple weeks out, no headaches or memory loss, then it would still be classified as mild concussion or semi. All right, Steve. We still use the term semi. I have have another question, if you don't mind. Sure. Can can concussions lead to seizures? Like if somebody gets punched and, you know, sees stars, maybe doesn't black out completely, would that be considered the type of concussion that uh, might lead to a seizure? Dr. Ben? So there, you can sometimes see convulsions after a head injury, and these are generally not considered risk factors for development of seizure disorders later. So that's a convulsion related to the initial trauma. Um, so like a one-time event. So it's a one-time event. Uh, head injury in general can be a risk factor for future problems if it develops into a significant damage to the brain structure itself. By definition, concussion is a brain injury without those damage changes that you can see. So if you're defining it just as concussion, then it should not be a risk factor for seizure disorder down the line. But if you have a traumatic brain injury, so not just a concussion, but actual damage in the brain, that could be a risk factor for seizures later. But you wouldn't no longer call that a concussion. You'd call it something else. You'd call it something else. So really with a concussion, if you were to do a lot of imaging studies, the anticipation is they would all be negative. Yes. So if you were to do imaging studies and find something, we're dealing with something else. We're dealing with a traumatic brain injury. All right, Steve. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thank you so much, guys. Excellent. Thank you for calling us today. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with my experts, Dr. Monique Kaniko and Dr. Ben Chun. We're talking about concussions, how to know if when you hit your head it was a sign of a problem or maybe it was just a little bump on the head. If you'd like to join us, you can at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Ben, we just brought up a really interesting point, I think, and that is that when we talk about 
concussions, there would be no findings on a scan. So who needs a scan after they have a head injury? So there are various recommendations on who needs a scan. In general, most people don't when it's a concussion. And so if you have a good story for someone getting a concussion injury, you have the story of a collision during a sporting event or a witnessed fall, and it's a good, it's a good story for it, that, and you're more suspicious for concussion, in general, people don't need one. There's two reasons. If they have something focal on their neurologic exam, and this is why it's important to have people that are suspected of having concussions evaluated by a medical professional so that can evaluate them fully. If there's something amiss on that examination, that might prompt someone to get a, a scan. Secondly is if someone is deteriorating rapidly. So that's why we monitor people after they have an injury. So even if we're not sure if they have concussion, you never send them into the locker room by themselves. You always have on someone watching them in case they start to worsen over time. That would be a reason to look. And we're mainly looking for bleeds in the brain at that point. So when we say worsen over time, what kind of time course are we talking about? There could be an I'm okay for the first 10 minutes and two hours later I'm starting to have troubles. Do you send or should you, if you're a coach, should you send your athletes home with with the notice that, okay, I know that you guys just played a game. Tell your mom not to leave you alone for a few hours or call your doctor or call me if something changes. In general, you want that kind of handoff of care. There's always got to be someone with that athlete. Certainly, you don't want them driving themselves home after someone suspects you might have had a concussive injury. Um, we, If the parents don't feel comfortable or if there's no one there to monitor the child appropriately, oftentimes they will at that point recommend they go be evaluated in the emergency department. Now, would this be coach drives you there or 911, you're taken by ambulance to the ER? Or does that kind of depend on the situation? It depends on the situation. Now, luckily, in the state of Hawaii, we're, we're lucky to have really good athletic trainers that are present at all high school games and competitions. And we say we're lucky because that's not the case everywhere? That is not the case in all states. Some schools do not have any healthcare professionals present. So the athletic trainer would be a healthcare professional, somebody who could do this assessment if somebody had a problem. Yes. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with some experts. We are talking with Dr. Monique Kaniko. I'm sorry, Kananiko, and we are also talking with Dr. Ben Chun about concussions, what to do if you hit your head and when it's a sign of a problem and when it's not that much of a big deal. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what happens if you've had a couple of these concussions and is there some reason why you should be worried about things that might happen in the future. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The legendary standing stones of England are still a mystery, a millennia after they were erected. Archaeologists to this day have no idea why these things were put there, why these people did it. Summer Vacation in Stockholm features lots of fresh air and exercise. We love being outdoors. Swedes are obsessed by being outdoors. And find out why the sauna is so important in Finland on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday afternoon at 4, following Fresh Air. My favorite program is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and This American Life. I could listen all day long on Saturdays and be happy. And actually, lately, I've taken to downloading the podcast. So if I miss Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or This American Life or a lot of other really good programs, I try and get them on the podcast so that I don't miss anything. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. 
Listen and see. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We're talking about head injuries. When they're minor, nothing to worry about. When it's a cause for major concern. Dr. Ben Chun, sports medicine expert, and Dr. Monique Kananiko, neurologist from Kaiser Permanente, are here in the studio. If you've ever had a head injury, how long did it take you to feel better? Can share your story, maybe help somebody else along the way? We're at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877 877- 9413689 Before the break we were talking about concussions and when it might be a sign of concern to go to the emergency room get a scan and when it might be okay to just monitor we've got a couple of callers on the line we've got we've got RB from Honolulu RB how are you doing today Well how are you Doing great what can we do for you Well I want to thank you for having a great show that everyone can relate to we've all bumped our heads at one point or another but I was curious about one that I think happened to that uh, Ms. Richardson woman, uh, I think on a ski slope. Where Natasha Richardson, yep. That I'm fine and you know, I don't want to go anywhere. I believe the doctors call it talk and die. And I was curious if they could discuss it in detail and I'll listen to it off the uh, radio. Great question. And I have to say, when that happened a few years ago, boy, any of my patients who hit their head came right in saying, I don't want to wind up in a situation like Natasha Richardson. She's in Canada on a ski slope, has an injury, hits her head pretty darn hard. To my recollection, she did actually lose consciousness. And then she came to and they said, do you want medical attention? And she said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'll go back to my room. I'll be fine. I've just got a headache. I'll be fine. And uh, that was probably a bad choice. And it kind of alludes to the fact that if you did just lose consciousness, should you be able to make that choice on your own if, in fact, you may not be thinking correctly? So, uh, Dr. Ben Chun, I hear you kind of nodding your head like you remember this story. And and what are your thoughts on this this issue? You know, here she was, super headache, but talking and then it turns out that she wound up having a, I think it was a bleed in her brain, a torn, shorn vein that wound up bleeding and causing pressure in the head. I guess that means that it's brain injury a little bit more than, than a concussion. But what about this, this quote, talk and die kind of scenario? Is this, it, I mean, it seemed pretty rare to me. Well, I actually use that case as an example for some of my patients, actually, as to why some, you sh- should get seen sometimes. Yeah, I think that's pretty convincing yeah. when you when you say, you know, hey, don't talk and then be, be not here and be dead. So that, that's a good... Without knowing the specific details of her case, because, uh, you know, I, I just got the media reports like everyone else. But my understanding was that uh, there was a recommendation that she should get evaluated and she turned the ambulance away and then subsequently actually worsened, like her symptoms worsened and the ambulance was called again. Right, and, and got the course turned of away a few again. hours, right, exactly. And so I usually use as an example for parents when they're monitoring someone to say, if someone's worsening over time, um, it's that's bad. an indication that you should Do go something. get evaluated. So that's how I use that lesson is that if if it's getting, if it's deteriorating, go in. And don't be alone. I think that's and the other issue alone. is yes. that if you're there by yourself and you think you're okay, you may not have the ability to make a judgment call to say, hey, I'm not okay. So we always have parent, roommate, friend, coach, buddy, friend, buddy, whoever it is, keep an eye on them. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, lesson learned. Hopefully, no one will have to learn any more lessons like that again. Well, we've got a neighbor island caller. We have Grace from the Big Island. Grace, welcome to The Body Show. What can I do for you? Thanks. Hi. Um, 
I just had a question. I um, had an experience when my son was an infant. I think he was like between three and four months old. He just started rolling over and rolled off the bed and smacked his head on the floor. And it was, you know, a cement floor and it made a horrible noise. And he cried endlessly. And I was, you know, I was terrified. And I called the doctor. And one thing he told me to do was to keep an eye on his pupils and for, you know, change in dilation. And is that something that you should look for also, especially in an infant? Or Great, great question, Grace, and excellent, very sharp doctor who told you to do that. You know, uh, Dr. Monique, when you're in a situation where you've got a baby... You can't ask them, does it hurt? You use these surrogate markers, crying and other sorts of things to find out, feeding, et cetera. Are they okay? What an interesting idea, watching the pupils. What do you think? Yes, I agree. Looking at the behavior of the child would be number one is, are they still able to manage their cry? Is the crying getting worse? And it always comes back to, are they progressing? Is anything about the exam or their behavior getting worse? But I really like the idea of monitoring the pupil in anyone, but in particular the infant. So the deal with the pupil is there can be pressure that builds up from the injury, be it the kid banging his head on the ground or the injury on the field, and it can put pressure on some of the nerves that go to the muscles in the eye. So it's almost as though you have a window looking into the brain, and if the pupil is getting bigger, uh, on one side as compared to the other. And it doesn't matter. It's really just looking at what we call asymmetry. So one is smaller, one is bigger. That can be a way to monitor if the examination is progressing or if the person is stable. So this is a way that you can look at their eyes and say, okay, pupils look the same, we're all good. You shine a little light in it, make sure that they get smaller when you shine the light. And even if you're an infant, toddler, Anybody, you could use this as a marker. Yes. And another thing to remember is that they're going to be drowsy. Maybe it's the middle of the night. It's okay to lift both eyelids at the same time and look at the pupils and compare them then, too. So even if they can't open their eyes or maybe they're fending you off, it's you okay can to do it lift for the eyelids and have a look. Are there any special considerations that we need to look at for, you know, children and toddlers that are, and even babies that are different than adults? Yes. So um, some of the things that we look at in children are the agitation and the confusion because sometimes, you know, they won't be able to voice anything. They won't be able to say, I'm having difficulty concentrating. I feel really drowsy. I'm feeling nauseated. Um, So again, it's going to be those behavioral cues kid not acting right, kid progressively worsening, can't be soothed, crying is worse. All right. So good signs to watch out for if you happen to be a parent or, you know, even a babysitter or whatever it may be. Great, great question for us, Grace. And I'm glad your doctor directed you accordingly to keep an eye on that. And hopefully everything worked out okay. It did. Thanks. All right. Thanks for calling us. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Joseph from Kahala. Joseph, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. What can we do for you? Yeah, I was just listening uh, probably 10 or 15 minutes ago when the the father called about the daughter who hit her head, uh, the five-year-old, and they didn't do anything except Tylenol. Mm -hmm. It it just seemed like um, that was contraindicating from, you know, the situation. Um, She... Her head, from what I heard, and she vomited. Uh, 
headache getting worse and uh, delirious is what I heard from him as the symptoms. And you guys didn't really tell him that he didn't do the wrong thing. Well, doctor, emergency room or... Very true. I mean, I see your point, Joseph, and I think, you know, retrospectively, everything worked out. Thank God. Most concussions are mild. That's a good thing. On the other hand, here's a scared parent who who may have made a choice that you might not have made for your child or, or someone else might not have made, and respecting their decision with certainly without making them feel chastised that, you know, over over the airwaves we have a different opinion – there are some things that people can do, and we, we're going to continue to talk about what's the first thing you should do if someone hits their head, what kind of first aid should you give, and when should you seek more medical attention, and, and we're going to go through those things. So, you know, in that, in that light, Dr. Chun, when we did have the caller who described their, their young child, let's just review some of the signs. Like, let's just say that, you know, you, you witness somebody – falling down the stairs. Let's say it's a child or maybe even an older adult, and you see that they've hit their head and it makes that loud noise that that people generally get very worried about. As a bystander, what's the first thing you should do? I think that, well, in any situation, we we usually do the ABCs. We assess for- Make sure they have an airway, they're breathing. They're breathing. Make sure that they have a pulse. A pulse. Hello, how are you? Did you hit your head? What's going on? Do you know who you are? That kind of stuff. Right. And, and just to make a point, I think Joseph brings up a good point. Um, and, and I think the main thing to be is, is it's good that there's more awareness because I think that the biggest danger with these kinds of injuries are if people aren't thinking of the potential consequences of the injury or they're just if they are overlooking the fact that it could be serious. So the fact that people are, have this on their mind, I think, is a good thing. And, and the caller, Van, I think was his name, I think they were – appropriately concerned because they were watching and monitoring and kind of paying attention and things. And I think the only time you really go wrong in these situations is when you don't think about what could happen and you're sort of reckless and saying, it's fine, there's nothing wrong, I'm not going to pay attention to this, go back out there, keep doing what you're doing. So I think the fact that more people are becoming aware of this and saying, hey, maybe we should pay attention is the best thing. And so hearing from these callers to say, you know, we are thinking about it is the best thing that we're hearing. That means that our message is getting out, that people are taking this seriously. So if you come across that situation where you think someone is being a little reckless, because remember, there's sports going on all the time. There's skateboarding, there's bicycle riding, there's surfing, and you happen to be there and someone has an injury, there's no one around that's a professional to help them. You might be the person that has to give them the advice to say, hey, don't just go home by yourself. You know, you took a pretty hard hit. Let's kind of look at you. Do something about it. Sure, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I think the other point is that in certain age groups, we tend to be more reckless than others. And if if you are young and you hit your head and you think you're going to be okay, tell your friend or tell your parents, hopefully, or tell your teacher, tell your your coach, tell somebody. Because if you keep it to yourself, that's essentially if this all happens, you look around, nobody sees you. You know, you might be putting yourself in danger without even realizing it and not having that judgment capacity to do something differently. Right. Now, you know, we talk about head injuries. Dr. Monique, there was just that situation in Hawaii Kai and there was a skateboarder and they were on a skateboard. I think they were holding on to a moped or again, we know what the media tells us. So we certainly may not know the full story and hit their head really hard and, and 
never made it. These are these are head injuries that can be very serious. It moves beyond the level of I've got a simple concussion, I wake up, I get better to to now I have some serious consequences to this and in, and in unfortunate cases leading to death. What should we do to protect our head? So again, we really want to stress, as we always do, the helmets for any sport. And I in particular want to stress the kids who are doing the skating and the skateboarding and even the scootering just down the street to their friend's house, which might be a quarter of a mile away. And that's when they don't put the helmet on. My kids in particular, they're 10 and 13-year-old boys. When we go on a 10-mile bike ride, we all have our helmets on. When they're driving around the block to their friend's house on the scooter, they don't have their helmet. And I really try to be diligent about any time you're on wheels, put the helmet on. If you're driving a car, seatbelt, and, um, of course, no driving under the influence of any drugs or alcohol, but helmet, any sport, any time. Helmet, helmet, and helmet. Now, you know, what about surfing? You know, Ben, you mentioned that earlier. That's a sport that, you know, a lot of people do. And it's, I don't want to say it's unique to Hawaii because there's other coastal areas where they have that particular uh, activity. But is there anything you can do if you surf? I mean, I can only imagine getting pounded by the force of some of these waves. Should you, how, how do you, what do you do then? I don't really see any surfers wearing headgear and I don't even know if it would be that protective what can you do if that's your sport? There is headgear for surfing, so there are helmets for surfing. The important distinction that helmets are unfortunately not yet proven to be concussion-proof. So they don't protect you from concussion injury. They do, however, are really effective at protecting you from skull fracture and catastrophic brain injury. So the reason we use them in sports is to prevent those injuries, which were actually quite common back when they played football without helmets or with just leather helmets. Boy, I can't even imagine it now. Yeah, so those injuries were skull fractures and severe traumatic brain injury. So those injuries have come down significantly with the advent of helmets. But unfortunately, helmet does not protect against concussion. But so if you're a surfer at Pipeline and it's a foot deep and you're on a 10-foot wave and you're impacting something that's essentially concrete, there are certainly surfers that have had injuries before that wear helmets. But it's always, it's kind of an individual decision. Snowboarding used to have nobody wearing a helmet, and now it's actually the standard. Is it pretty common? It's pretty uncommon to see someone not wearing a helmet snowboarding these days. But like regular skiing? Yes, same thing. Used to be really uncommon to see someone wearing it on the slopes. And just in the last 10 years, it's it's probably more uncommon to see someone without Without it. So we're gaining ground. We're, we're recognizing protect your head, make sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you could unintentionally injure yourself. Are there other sports where helmets are becoming more common? I'm trying to think of Olympic skiers, and do I see them with helmets? And, and I, I think I do. Do I? Do I see Olympic I, skiers I, with I helmets? Think do you think so. I do? Uh, one of the things, if you watch uh, professional cycling, is um, – Back when uh, Lance Armstrong was winning his first Tour de France's, he did not have a helmet, nor did most of the riders. And all of the riders are required to wear helmets now. So professional bicycle cycling is one of the sports where definitely helmets have made a big impact. Yeah, I see those aerodynamic helmets, you know, with all this kind of fanciness to it. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We've got Kama'a from Kaimoki. Welcome to The Body Show. Thank you very much. I appreciate what your show um, on Saturday, um, um, my uh, ICD went off, and uh, I was I was read, putting on my shorts. Uh, my ICD went off, 
And it's the first time I encountered it. It was so powerful. It, uh, um, they said my heart stopped. I fell on the floor. Um, on my face, my son watched me. I, uh, I fell face first. And uh, um, when I got up, I had no extremities. I couldn't push myself up. I, I blacked out. So um, um, my son uh, asked me, Dad, are you all right? You want me to call 911? And I, I couldn't respond first. So what should I tell my son to watch out for? What's the ABCs that the doctor mentioned? First well, one is assess. Well, here's what I'll tell you, first of all. If your ICD goes off, that's a reason to go get checked out. Because it's not going off for no reason. Now, an ICD, internal cardiac defibrillator, is basically um, when they say, okay, if you're watching TV or something, all right, I'm going to shock him. And they, they say, stand clear. And then they do that. Essentially, what you do is you have some wires in your heart that will do the same thing. So you don't have a whole lot of warning if this is going to go off. Usually it does so if if your defibrillator senses that your heart isn't beating. Um, it's rare for these things to go off for no reason, but when they do go off, there's a reason. So what you should first tell your son is, yes, he should call 911, because if your heart stops and it's a sign that your defibrillator is going off, then there could be a reason for it. It could either be a heart attack, you could have some low potassium, you could have some problems with, who knows, a whole bunch of different possible things. And if you don't treat the underlying condition that's going to keep happening. And it's generally not good for your heart to have that sort of continuous shocking occur from some other reason. Okay. So okay. that and being I fell down and I hit my head. Exactly. That being said, the ABCs we were talking about, uh, Dr. Ben, we sort of mentioned A stands for airway, make sure somebody can breathe. B is breathing. C, circulation. Do you have a pulse? How old is your son? Um, 41. Okay, so he's old enough that he can do some of these assessments. Um, basically, what I would do if if you have this happen again is he should contact 911 because if you're in the process of having your heart stop and not restart, that's something that is an emergency and you want to get it checked out. And then also they will contact your, your doctor who put in the defibrillator, let them know that it's going off so that they can check on it, make sure it's appropriate, and make sure there's nothing underlying that condition. Now, you also mentioned you hit your head. And I think yeah. one, one of the things that we know is that if, if you don't have the ability to protect your head and you fall on it, that's generally not a good sign. And Dr. Monique, you can probably address when somebody can't even head protect and they fall down, they can't even cover their face. They don't even have that kind of a warning, almost like a drop attack. That would be a sign that they should be concerned about, even if they sort of come to and it takes them a little while. That's probably one of those emergency kind of things, wouldn't you think? Yes, I definitely agree. Um, it's a reason to seek medical attention, whether it was from his situation or any other situation. There was a loss of consciousness and the head was hit because of that. Therefore, more attention and evaluation is needed. Are your symptoms okay now? How are you feeling? No, what do I, I went down. I walked downstairs. I walked downstairs to the ambulance, and then my neck and my my shoulders were very sore. And so they thought I broke my neck, oh. and I was so sore for 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 many hours. You walked down the stairs to the ambulance. Yes, I walked out to to the ambulance. Is there a reason and, why the ambulance people didn't come to you? Oh yeah, because my apartment is cr uh, loaded with things, and they're not able to put the gurney in. Well, and you know, that's one thing that you could do. So next time, God forbid, let's hope there never is one. Next time, you wouldn't necessarily have to walk downstairs if somebody is seriously impaired. And if you did break your neck, you would have made it worse walking down the stairs. I see. 
so the symptoms of, of short neck and short, 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 short shoulders, that means my, my concussion affects my neck and my shoulders. I well, think... Go ahead. I think it means the trauma affected how your muscles it, feel. He's bringing up some good points, and and one is when you when you have a head injury, it you sometimes can lose the ability to actually know what's going on with you. So especially if you lose consciousness. In this case, it sounds like you lost consciousness first, then you fell, and then you hit your head. So one thing that we worry about in that situation is that you really don't know what other injuries you may have, and one thing we really worry about is your neck. So the advice for your son in that situation is if he sees that happen, is it's best just not to move you. He can assess and make sure you're awake, um, that you have your breathing, that you can converse with him, um, but not actually move you around. Call 911 because he doesn't know the extent of your condition or your injuries. So hopefully this never happens again to you. Um, but in that situation, it's probably best to just call 911, keep you in that same place without, they always say not to move someone that's injured because, again, the concern is for other things. It sound, I think you said that you were a little kind of out of it when you first came to. Is that right? Yeah, and I think yeah. the other thing that Kamaha, you know, I dare I suggest it, um, is that if you've got an obstruction that can be moved, if there were ever to be a need, now is the time to move it. And certainly, you know, people have a lot of different confirmations of their houses here and additions and various things with stairwells. But boy, if you've got an ICD and your health is such that you need a defibrillator, you want to make sure that if there ever is a need for a gurney or an ambulance to come get you, you have an exit and they can bring the gurney up the stairs and they can fit it in the hallway or some way that whatever the stuff is that was in the way is no longer there. So, you know, that's another thing your son can do is help you to, to move stuff so that, you know, now so that before this ever becomes another issue, you've got a clear path of entry and exit and ambulance can come and get you and you don't have to to go to them. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We're here in the studio hearing lots of interesting things about people who have had head injuries. If you've had one, when we come back, we'll talk with you too. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Monique Kananiko and Dr. Ben Chun. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. On the next Humankind... One choice started with environment, led to health, health led to an improvement. And the great thing about this is that they're interwoven. What's good for the environment is also seems to be the healthy choice as well. The surprising link between global warming and what you eat. Next time on Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. It is a morning like other mornings. Henry, my lover, sits on the couch reading the morning paper. Henry, my cat, is sitting in the other corner staring at Henry, my lover. They are so ridiculous looking, that pair of Henrys. Jamie Simpson still reads Gail and Harada's story, Waiting for Henry, on a show devoted to animals, pets, predators, and people. This week on Aloha Shorts, Tuesday evening at 6.30. 
Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we are here in the studio talking about head injuries and concussions. I've got some experts here at the table with me. I have Dr. Ben Chun, sports medicine expert from Kaiser Permanente, and Dr. Monique Kananiko, neurologist, Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about what happens when you hit your head and when you should be concerned about it. If you've got a question, you'd like to know if there's something you need to be wary of, or maybe even your family members should watch for you, you can join us at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Ben Chun, we were talking a little bit about sports can be a sign of concern. And there's some new studies that are coming up that are looking at, you know, when is the riskiest time for athletes and what are some of the things that they could learn to do so that they don't have long-term consequences what are some of these issues? You just came back from a conference like last night, I think. And, and what are some of the latest things that you've learned? Well, parents these days are really concerned about concussion injury, and rightfully so with what we're seeing on the news. Uh, parents always ask, well, what sports are the riskiest? And, and it's been fairly consistent that football by far is the most riskiest for concussion, but also wrestling, soccer, uh, and girls' basketball are some of the highest rates of concussion injury in this state, and they do track it from year to year. Um, unfortunately, there is no 100% safe sport. Any sport you undertake is going to have some level of risk. So the best way to protect yourself is proper coaching, proper preparation, using good technique, paying attention to your body if something seems amiss, asking someone for help, paying attention to your teammates. If one of your teammates is acting differently, seems confused, um, doesn't seem themselves or is complaining of things, letting someone know so that they can be taken care of. The basic things make a big difference, especially for concussion injury. Now, we talked a little bit during the break and we were talking about sometimes people need to know the right way to have a situation like Dr. Monique, you were talking about the right way to tackle. And if you do it correctly, you don't actually involve your head. Are these some of the things that, that we actually see in sports that we just need to learn better technique, better mechanisms of, of how to do things? Yes. So as Dr. Chen was saying, no sport is without risk. And we know football is one of the worst ones. But one of the things that we have found is that if the children are taught proper tackling techniques and they learn no helmet to helmet and you lead with the shoulder, et cetera, that can help reduce the injury in terms of they don't know how to tackle as well and they could have less chance of getting a concussion. So with proper instruction and the coaches, at least at the community level, and I'm sure at the, the grade school and the, um, the high school level, they're being taught to help teach them to minimize head injuries. And some of the things we're learning too is if you learn how to tackle at a younger age, you may not uh, be at so much risk when you're older because you've learned the technique, your body knows how to absorb it, and there may be less chance of getting a head trauma because you learned properly. So there might be a technique element to it. Certainly it doesn't mean everybody should stop playing football or they should stop playing basketball. I mean, we're trying to get youth to get more active, and these are some of the activities that they enjoy. So there may be safer ways to do it. Now, what are some of the long-term consequences? I know, you know, again, we hear about it in the media, lawsuit against the NFL from some of the former players who say, boy, after that many episodes of head trauma, they've had permanent damage. Is this a concern? I know concussions, we said, 
by definition are self-limited, they get better. But is there, you know, how many is too many? And and when do you get worried if there's so many concussions that someone's experienced in their sporting athletic activities that there could be permanent damage? The important thing to remember is that the majority, the vast majority of concussions do get better. So we don't want to scare everyone into inactivity. Uh, every concussion, however, is different. So one may take uh, seven to 10 days to get better in an adult. And what we're seeing is it takes an average of three weeks to get better in a, in a youth or teenage athlete. There are some athletes that sustain concussions, such as Sidney Crosby, the, the Penguins uh, NHL team, who took an entire calendar year to get over a single concussion. So it can have significant consequences. If you're a school-aged athlete, the biggest concern we have is having difficulties in school, which is your primary job. You're there to learn and if you're having issues concentrating or remembering things or focusing or having emotional issues related to a head injury, it can have longer-term effects just in, in consequence to your, your, your academic career. Your future career, career sure. Academics, right. you know, there's, there's exams, there's SATs, there's college applications. There's a whole bunch of things you got to sort of have together. So important to pay attention. When you're in that situation. The okay. long, long-term effects that people worry about are this so-called cr- chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is sort of brain damage that happens over time. It is not for sure linked to concussions per se yet. So that's where the studies are ongoing to see if there's a certain risk for those athletes. And it probably is a specific kind of subset of people that's going to be at risk for that. So there's not a direct link between concussion and that right now, that sort of early Alzheimer's stuff that everyone worries about. So that hasn't been shown yet. But that's always a legitimate concern, and there's, no, there's not really a good way for us to tell people there's no chance that that could ever happen to you. And that's, what, that's why we need to pay attention and keep looking at this issue. And, you know, like you mentioned, we have a lot of great callers today, and they're saying, hey, I'm interested in concussion. Hey, I heard that other guy didn't take his, you know, daughter in to get checked out. I probably would have. So we're hearing about this increase in public awareness. Now, just to just to sort of review a couple of the the basic ideas. So concussion is like the egg yolk in the egg. You don't have to have head trauma. You just have to have some type of a force on the head that causes, like you mentioned, the yolk in the egg to shake around a little bit. It also causes some disruption in the brain's normal function, whether it be level of consciousness, whether it be mild dizziness, vision, blurred speech, blurred, I guess, blurred vision, altered speech, etc. By definition, if you do a brain scan and it's a true concussion, it'll probably be negative because concussions don't have permanent injury on the brain. Now, Dr. Monique, we mentioned some great things, kids, things you should watch out for in kids versus adults. And there were some ideas on how to monitor a child. And what were those again? So with a child, you're going to look at the agitation. Is there any crying that's ongoing? Definitely vomiting. And in particular, repeat vomiting. So what struck me about the first case where he um, noticed his daughter, age five, had vomiting, it sounded like it was only once. He didn't hear her waking up screaming, and she was having repeated vomiting over and over. So you may get some vomiting initially, and then it goes away. And, And of course, the child would possibly complain of a headache. So those are things for young children. Now let's talk about teenagers. The teenagers are... Because you've got, you've got some. You've got one and then one coming up. So yes, you know all about exactly. that. And they're boys, too. And they so. wrestle and play football. So I'm always interested in what they have to say. Um, so definitely any of those signs we talked about in the young children, 
but also other things. You don't just have to have headache and you don't just have to have vomiting. You could, in the next couple of days after the injury, the child or the teen may complain of dizziness, decreased concentration in school, sleep difficulty, a mood change, perhaps it's evident. I mean, how can you tell that in a teenager? You know, I mean, can you? Because I don't know. I mean, I remember being a teenager and I don't think I was the nicest person on the planet. And I suspect I had all sorts of weird moods. I mean, how do you know? Is it just me being weird or me being, you know, head weird? Right. That's a subtle difference. The teens definitely have their mood swings. But again, it would be a change from baseline. Oh, she's always drama queen. And that's just her usual drama queen. All right. okay, I got (laughs) that's her usual. But, you know, here we have maybe, you know, a 14 year old who was always the nicest, sweetest thing. And she's developing seems withdrawn mood changes. Those are changes from her baseline. And that could be a cue that maybe she's not overtly complaining of headache. But hey, there's something wrong. Another thing that might be brought up I'm having difficulty concentrating in school. They may have difficulty with multitasking and even short-term memory loss are all things that could happen right after the injury or in the first week or so. And how long would that last? So essentially, they all they could start from the beginning. And as Dr. Chen was saying, most of the time concussions get better. 80% of them will be better by three months. But Each individual is so different, and that's why one protocol doesn't fit everybody. And I think just raising the awareness and knowing that people will get better at different rates of speed is one important thing because nobody gets better at exactly the same rate. So it's kind of individualized. So what about adults? Now, Dr. Ben, do you go to sport? I mean, are you the athletic person at some of the sporting events? Have you ever been the doc who's there on the sidelines? Sure. And what is your, what do you generally tell athletes? Well, what sport, first of all? I guess that makes a difference. Well, in training, we always cover football, but then basketball, volleyball, So football, soccer, basketball, volleyball. Okay, so anything with a ball. Anything with a ball. You have somehow been involved with, with monitoring that. What has been one of the – well, I mean, you know, you don't have to mention names. What's the worst thing you've ever seen the, in your training? Like the worst kind of uh, – what have head you seen? Wise? Yes, yes, yes. Head injury, concussion. What was something that surprised you when you were doing all of these events that you just went, wow, did, let me tell my friend who's also in my same field, I got to tell him what I saw. I think the... Actually, I'm putting you so on much, the spot. Yeah, you are bit. putting me on the spot. Well, apparently <laughs> I'm the drama queen. Uh, so, you know, okay, I'm just going to go with that. But uh, so, I mean, like, what would be something that would be unusual that would strike you and you'd go, oh boy, got to watch out for that again? I... Th- to be honest, the word, I mean, I've been lucky that I haven't had some of the catastrophic things happen Knock in my on career. Wood. Okay. Knock on wood, yes. Um, I think the worst things that I see are kind of the mundane stuff that people tend to not notice. And that's the, so uh, like Dr. Canonico was mentioning, some of the mood changes can be really profound and be really disrupted to a, a teenager's life. And they have a lot going on. They have a lot of important things that they're doing. And to see them struggle so much and to not have the support because it, maybe it just wasn't recognized that they had an injury. But you, we see kids that have been straight-A students, and then they go down to barely passing, and then they're and that's struggling. That's a huge change. It's a big change, and it has long-reaching uh, effects. And I think so I think the, the worst in this kind of realm, having not been lucky enough not to have had any of the catastrophic things, 
it's just having someone feel like there's there's something wrong with them and there's no there's nothing there's no word for it or there's no diagnosis it's just well, you're sure. not trying hard enough or you're being moody or you're and it the child starts to feel like it's them that it's doing something wrong when it in fact was an injury that wasn't picked up on and so and like you mentioned there's no test there's no diagnostic test to say this scan shows concussion because yeah, by no... definition the scan would look normal so you can have these sorts of brain changes without having something visible on a scan. There's no test to prove it. So how do you figure that out? Is it just mainly history? It's history. It's it's awareness, and it's become much easier to to figure out who's injured and who's not. Um, our rates of concussion have gone up significantly, not because our sports are more dangerous, but just because people are more aware. And so I think just having information from coaches, parents, student-athletes, all of that plays a role in figuring people out. And when you're an adult, if you're just playing, you know, you pick up basketball on the weekend or, hey, I'm just going to play a little football with my friends on Thanksgiving, things to be aware of, kind of the same things as if you same were a student. If, if you still don't feel right, you still don't feel like yourself and it's been a couple of weeks, you should say something. Just getting your bell rung and... It's an interesting way to put it. And, and keep your elbows to yourself. Don't your elbow people in the head. You know, because sometimes that can happen inadvertently. Competitive sports, you know, you want to win. It makes me wonder, wrestling, why do we not hear more about it with, with wrestling? I mean, I don't know. I just We do. We have a lot of wrestlers in judo, especially, which is so popular here in the islands. Is It's got some pretty high rates of injury as well. So be careful with those things, too. Be careful with all sports. Do they wear helmets in judo? No. But they wear helmets in some kind of wrestling. I remember seeing them, these weird kind of... It's protective of their ears, not okay. so much for their head. Not for their head. So maybe that's another sport where we need to take a look at it. You never you know. never know. It'd be challenging to wrestle ear to ear with someone with a big helmet on your head, so... Well, and I think, you know, at some point we're going to have to get better at helmet design. We're mm -hmm. going to have to come up with something that will not only help against major head trauma, but you mentioned helmets don't necessarily protect against concussion. And that can be another issue that people don't realize. Yes. All right. So overall concussions, don't have them. If you know somebody who has head trauma, watch them carefully. If there's signs of changes, Dr. Monique, you mentioned kids, be wary if there's behavior changes, subtle things. And I love the doc who told the uh, parent, check out the pupils. That was, that was definitely a very astute observation. And if you're a teenager and you're moody more than usual, be worried about that. All right. I feel like I've learned a lot about concussions today. I want to thank both of you, Dr. Monique, Dr. Ben. Thanks for being on The Body Show today. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Dr. Monique Canonico is a neurologist at Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Ben Chun is a sports medicine expert at Kaiser Permanente. And they both see people all the time with head injuries and hopefully won't anymore because no one will have one. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on www.hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about the potential of a single-payer insurance system. That'll be an interesting one. See you Monday at 5 on The Body Show. Mm -hmm.